hello and welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. My name is Bianca Woolwick and I'm the host. I interview my friends and people that inspire me to figure out if they have the key to life and they feel successful or feel like they don't fit in like I do. Anyway, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I am doing all right. I constantly have to check my dates and times and figure out if it's Thursday or Wednesday or Friday at this point. And I don't know about you. There's really only three days. There's <laughs> yesterday, today, and tomorrow. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. To my listeners, this is, of course, Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And the awesome voice you are hearing on the other end is Ash Zaid. So Ash, what's your elevator pitch? Uh, 30,000 foot overview. Who are you? What do you do? Etc. Sure. So I am a mid-30s father of two. I'm married to a teacher. And right now I'm a product manager for a startup in the e-commerce space, which is pretty good timing with everything going on in the world. Yes, it is. I honestly have bought, I normally I'll see an Instagram ad and I, I'll just ignore it, but I've gotten caught a few times totally being so so targeted that I've purchased something. So yes, very much relevant to the times right now. <laughs> yeah, no, lucky in, in many ways. Um, it, it's funny, like uh, the topic of this podcast and it being like imposter syndrome, when uh, COVID hit and the lockdown hit, as a company, we looked at it and we're like, if we have any chance of succeeding, this is the circumstance for it. So let's see how we do. Because no other time will we have uh, as much of an opportunity to excel with all retail being shut down and everyone going online. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because like for me, like at the start of this pandemic, I was obviously laid off. And um, it's funny because the industry that I actually was working in, which was uh, a company within uh, the uh, real estate industry, um, San Diego's real estate has never been more expensive or more booming with the interest right. rates being so low, of course. However, I no longer have a job, so, but it's okay. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying this podcast and I'm enjoying exploring this topic of imposter syndrome. And I think it's awesome that you've got an e-commerce thing that is probably faring pretty well within the pandemic. So you reached out to me on Matchmaker, which is, of course, a platform that connects podcasts to podcast guests, etc. Um, and I always joke that it's not a dating app because the first time I ever mentioned it to my husband, he was like, what? Yeah, their branding is pretty funny. Like, it is pretty funny. <laughs> like, I get it, but that, that term kind of has a, its own brand already. Yeah, absolutely, which I think is kind of bizarre, but it's a really cool app uh, to my listeners. If you uh, think you've got something to say and you want to be a guest on a podcast, definitely check out matchmaker.fm. It's currently free. Knock on wood when that will not be free anymore. <laughs> Um, so let's just hop into the topic at hand, which is of course sure. imposter syndrome, and you've kind of touched on it just a little bit, but we'll start with the first question, which resoundingly seems to always have a similar answer, but do you feel like you have it all figured out? Uh, no, because I don't know what all is yet. <laughs> kind of what I've learned so far in my professional career that um, I, I, I've stopped predicting things a long time ago. So now I just expect to constantly run into things that I have no idea about. And then I kind of in my mind, fast forward to the point where I've figured it out and realize like, I will always get to that point. It's uncomfortable until I get there, but I'm sure I will figure it out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I always like the analogy of like the goalpost is always moving because I always feel like if someone was to tell me like, I've got the key to life and it's all great, I'd be like, well, I mean, that's kind of boring, right? Because, you know, what you learn five years from now or 10 years from now or, or even five years ago is different from your your current state. So I, I, I also feel like um, um, it, I'm constantly learning as I go, which I think is life. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's life. And, and speaking to people, I feel like this is kind of the similar answer, but yeah. Um, I also feel like the feeling of like having it all figured out and kind of knowing where you're going in life is also like deeply tied into imposter syndrome. So I'll just ask the question, do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome and in what ways and what does imposter syndrome mean to you? Um, I think I fit in. Uh, it's kind of part of my job, like as a product manager. Um, it's gonna be kind of a long way to get to the answer. But as a product manager, I've realized only this year that I'm basically like an influencer wherever I work. I don't really have a team under me. I work with every department and I don't really have like authority. All I can do is hopefully influence everyone to move in the right direction or at least the same direction. The right direction is kind of uh, subjective. So with that, I'm constantly um, analyzing if I'm actually advocating for the right things. Mm -hmm. Like, are we going in the right direction? How do I know we're going in the right direction? And sometimes I don't have an answer. Sometimes I get the question, why are we building this feature? And I've realized it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion, but here's what I'm hearing. I realized yeah. that, but a lot of the time, imposter syndrome sneaks in and, and I think like, I should have a strong opinion. Why don't I know? Uh, I don't know is not a, a good enough answer for someone who's like influencing the direction. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I definitely suffer from it. And it's, it's really funny, like topical. The last few weeks, uh, I think it's, it's like I've had a spike or a flare up. Um, we have quarterly uh, board member meetings and I generally present at those. So I'm prepping my slide deck for it. And I, for three days, like I just stared at an empty slide deck and it, <laughs> it completely flared out. So it's really interesting timing that I found uh, your podcast on Matchmaker. I'm like, I think it would be cathartic if I have the opportunity to go on there and talk to someone about it. <laughs> yes. Well, I like to think of myself as free therapy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, Me too. but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that as like an influencer and um, something that I've kind of, I've had a few guests say this now, which I actually think is kind of a beautiful thing. And maybe that this will give you uh, a, just a little bit of peace is that um, it's okay to say, let me get back to you. And I, you know, it's, it's also deeply okay to say, you know, I don't know, let me kind of dig on that and figure out like why we're doing this. Um, because I think a lot of imposter syndrome can kind of have this, not necessarily machismo effect, but like this effect of, I have to know all the answers. I have to have, I have to speak. I have to say something. I have to, I have to know what's right. And for me, when my imposter syndrome would flare up the most was like when I, I would do things by repetition that I'd done in my previous career or things I'd done in the past that I know that would work. But then if someone questioned it and I'd be like, uh, well, I really don't, I've never taken a step back and thought about why I am doing that. I just know that it tends to work this way. And I, I, I don't know, you yeah, know? So it's, it's interesting kind of that that's like when that can flare up for you. Um, and similarly, I've had times where I was going to go to a consulting meeting and I needed to create a slide deck. And I know this stuff backwards, forwards, through a flaming hoop. And yet I would sit at my computer for days on end at work and be like, 
I'm just going to move that lower on my to-do list. Uh, I'll get it done last minute. It's fine. <laughs> because I just like, I would just sit there with blank slides, like not sure like what I was going to do or if I was even qualified to be teaching these people about social media or whatever it was. And so I definitely can empathize and uh, relate to you in that regard. Yeah. And I think you've painted like uh, the most accurate picture um, of imposter syndrome, at least the way I experience it. Cause it was exactly like when you, when you started your point, that is exactly the point I came to in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, with my manager last Friday, that it's okay to say like, I will get back to you. I'm just so used to, feeling like I have to give answers. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards I say like, why did I even get him an answer? Now we've committed to something I wasn't sure about. And I'm, because of the imposter syndrome, you know, you feel vulnerable and you feel like if you say you don't know, then people will start to realize that you don't actually know what you're doing. That's yeah. the whole point of imposter syndrome. And then when in doing that, you actually shoot yourself in the foot. So it's a, it's a lesson that takes some time to learn. Um, and, and with the procrastination as well, like, Looking at the slide deck, I know the story I can tell. I didn't know what was the story that I had to tell. There's so many ways to slice a situation. And the imposter syndrome part is like, well, what do I want to highlight in the slide deck? I know everything, but now I have to start picking. And then you worry about picking the wrong mm -hmm. thing because again, it goes back to the same thing. What if they realize I don't know what I'm doing? Because I don't have the full confidence that I know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely as, um, and, you know, a previous in being a marketer and kind of having to like look at raw data and then you basically have to like look at this stuff and I'd be like, okay, now we got to paint a story because half the time the client's not going to know what that number means unless you give it a meaning. Um, so you have to like paint like whatever canvas, so to speak, your, your slide decks becomes your canvas. And it's, it's, I used to find it really fun. Like at the beginning of my career, I was like, Ooh, this is fun. And data is fun. And this is great. And now I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> like, like, uh, okay. So now I got to make it sound like this is really awesome. And like, it's, it's, it's like, can I prove the ROI? And I, you know, you typically can, but, but it's, it's, it's true. You know, you know, it backwards and forwards and you know what all those numbers mean. It's just like making it make sense in a story format for a digestible, um, quarterly meeting or whatever. Um, and that, that can be stressful because there's like a level of imposter syndrome that creeps in as well, where you're like, especially like when I used to work for a marketing agency where we're doing these giant, you know, client campaigns and I'm reporting on stuff. And then I have to like prove my value as the social media manager who's running like my social media team. I had to prove like that was valuable. So I'm like, Oh God, fingers crossed that like they still want to keep social as part of their marketing budget or whatever. So I totally get that. I've totally been there. Yeah, and one thing like I, I have to keep reminding myself, and I speak about this like freely, is we're all guessing all the time. Like every expert is always just guessing based on experience they have. So in the moment, I'm guessing this is the right approach to take. And I'm guessing that based on these five people I've, I've spoken to, I can see that we can all be guessing wrong. And when it comes to like client work, what I, what I try to tell like engineering teams when they're, they're thinking like, well, if, should we build it this way? Do you think they need that feature or that feature? I, I tell them like from the point that a client engages a company, they're guessing on what problems they have to solve. And then the sales team guesses on the solutions. And then the engineering team guesses on how they implement solutions. So everything is built on guessing. And it's not one person's guess if they guess incorrectly that'll mm -hmm. blow the whole project. It's just, we have to have faith that we're asking the right questions and 
more likely than not, we're guessing we're going in the right direction. So yeah. I, when I remind myself, like everyone's guessing, we're all trying to figure it out as we go. Uh, it is comforting, um, but it's, you know, sometimes you forget that, especially if you're around, you know, high achieving teams and you start, you know, imposter syndrome starts to sneak in again. You're like, eh, do I belong here? Do I fit in? <laughs> Which was one of your first questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, like in my career, um, I've definitely had to play that guessing game a lot. And and especially as a marketing director in a, part, in a department that's a one of one, which was my last job um, when I moved out to San Diego, I was a marketing director for a branch of a Fortune 500 company, which was within a, within a B2B industry that had a strict regulations for a number of years. So they couldn't really advertise or market for themselves. But then um, that some of the regulations had loosened up in California and therefore we could start to market. So my boss had the brilliant idea of thinking outside the box. There was a marketing team. It did do all of this one branches marketing underneath the branch of Fidelity National Financial. However, he said, I don't like that. I want my own person. So he hired me on. I happened to be moving from Colorado to San Diego. My husband's a lieutenant in the Navy. And I'd interviewed at all these other places and I chose this one because I thought, this is the one place where I can make a difference. Like there was a complete blank canvas, um, a terrible Yelp reputation, all of these things that I could easily fix based on my previous background where I knew that I, I knew I had the chops to get what he wanted to get done. A big component that he really wanted was video. He felt like YouTube was the future, which is weird because I mean, I feel like it's, yes, it's part of a marketing strategy, of course but it became, it started to become all of the marketing strategy. And there was a lot of guessing I had to do because I'd never really had to go with a YouTube forward strategy. And it made me feel every day, like I'm like, okay, this, that, today is the day he's gonna come in here and just kick me out. Like, he's gonna be like, these 10 years of marketing experience that you have, pff, no, absolutely not. And so it, it kind of, uh, it, 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 this podcast kind of manifested and, and the reason why it's called Please Don't Kick Me Out is because when I finally got laid off due to the pandemic, of course, like many people all over the world, I lost my job due to this pandemic. It's no big deal. I'm totally okay. I didn't die is the point. Like I lost my job, of course, but I didn't die. I'm fine. I'm okay. And I'd always wanted to do something very creative to give back because when I feel the most valued, and when I feel the best is when I'm doing things that are volunteer-based or doing things that provide value to people. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've constantly been in the wrong career. So, uh, so I started this podcast about imposter syndrome. And even in creating a podcast about imposter syndrome, I felt it before I even launched it, where I was like, okay, like, is anyone going to want to listen to this? Uh, you know, maybe I'll do nine episodes. And if it doesn't catch on after nine episodes, I'll stop. And no, it's continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And now I get to talk to people who have interesting backgrounds like yourself. And it's, it's just crazy to me that like where I was at the beginning of the year is so different than where I am now in my own uh, candor with imposter syndrome. Yeah, it is. A funny thing happens when you put yourself out there, whether it's like a creative endeavor or like professionally. Uh, you kind of prove that you are capable of doing things that you didn't think you were able to do before, which is so cliche, Yeah. but it, it's reality. The more things you try, the more like you grow your toolbox, and then you're more capable of doing things in the future. And hopefully it builds your confidence as you go. Like it was only really in my uh, last 
job before I, I worked for this company that I'm with now that it kind of hit me like, I think I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think I can provide value. And um, it, it took a lot of years and a lot of like different experiences to build that up. And I reminded myself, like I worked for a retail company. I, I got the job there as a marketing manager. And by the end, I would get introduced as an architect, as a site foreman, because in retail, everything moves so quickly. And mm -hmm. suddenly I was asked to, hey, you're good with the computer. Can you do an AutoCAD drawing of a retail space? I'm like, no. But because it's retail and there's high pressure, I'm like, I guess I can download it and try to build it. And then next thing you know, I'm like designing interior spaces. And then when I did that, they're like, okay, now can you go on site and help the engineers as they're building? I'm like, I have no idea what the, I'm doing. Like, I should not be doing this. But you go through these experiences and you're like, I had like eight titles working there. So it seems like I can figure stuff out. Yeah. And for some reason, people trust me to figure things out. And that dawns on you after you try all these things, just like your podcast uh, story. After you get through a few and, and you see you've made it past nine, well, well past nine, like, oh, I can actually do things. And the things I do, people seem to enjoy. Yeah. And just builds that confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And that's funny. Uh, you know, that reminds me a lot of my career where, where it was like, I always have this saying of like, jack of all trades, master of few. I never... There's never nothing, like, there's never something that I can't figure out how to do. Am I going to be great at doing it? Probably not. But there's a lot of tools in my arsenal that I've had to learn over time, like, similar to your story about, like, having to suddenly design retail or whatever. I had to learn a very difficult uh, Salesforce kind of, like, platform and then teach an entire, you know, sect of people about it or use Infusionsoft, which is just really bad. I, I would, wouldn't wish that platform on anyone. Um, but just these things I had to like kind of continue to learn. And once you learn them once, you kind of, they kind of work in different modules here and there and, and differently and stuff. So it, it gets easier over time. However, like I remember just like every time I would be given a new task, like, oh, you got to do this now. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, how do I do that? All right. And then I'd have to quickly train myself <laughs> the best I could and then just kind of like move on and go. And so that's actually why like when I got the position I had last, um, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel a lot of imposter syndrome. Like I, it would creep in when I'd be like, okay, but like, they don't really know marketing. So like, what if they find out that like, there's other people that could do this better or, you know, that's where my imposter syndrome could creep in where I do this like comparison of like, okay, but like, like they, they gave me this title, but like, do they really know what it means? Like, you know, and, and similar to you, I would start getting introduced as our marketing consultant, our marketing director, our social media director, our email director, our Salesforce director. I was like given all these random titles when people would introduce me because I would just, I would never say no. I would just continue to pile it onto my plate and move on. And, and it's great because, you know, when you do that, people really respect you, but then it starts to bleed into this kind of work-life balance and you start to have this fatigue because suddenly you're underemployed a little bit. Yeah, and it, it's funny what you mentioned about titles because I've realized titles is just another thing people guess they need, like organizations. Yep. So like if we had a product manager that could solve all these problems that we think we could have. And the more work you do, the more you realize like titles actually mean different things at different organizations. And just because you have a title or you're given a title, like the expectations like when I would think product manager, I would, before I had this role, I was like, oh, there's no way I could be a product manager. And then I get hired as one. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm doing it. 
I think I got, I think I could be a product manager now. And it's really funny how like titles can affect your mm -hmm. own perception of what you're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's interesting kind of how titles can kind of change and change the hierarchy of things and the merit or like your, your, your pride with, with things. Um, but it's, it's, I do have like some pet peeves though, when it comes to jobs, I also feel like in a lot of ways, um, especially with marketing jobs, I don't know if maybe you ever felt this, but, uh, when I'm looking at a job description and I see like that they want this, 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 and this, and one person, and I go, well, that's, I've done that as one person. It's a lot. Um, that's a team. <laughs> you need a team. <laughs> so you don't need just a digital marketing manager. You need a digital marketing department. And I think there's a proponency to kind of pile on things in a marketing position because it's kind of a catch-all position where you're kind of sales facing, you're kind of client facing, you're kind of business to business facing. Um, and, and you're, you know, kind of, you know, business development and all that other stuff that you're doing. And then, uh, for my, for instance, my last position, I had to do a lot of logistics of like events and, um, what else do I have to do? Promotional items and ordering them and, and sussing out the vendors and then, and then filling those invoices and th things I'd never done in my life, but that became my responsibility as well. So it was almost like I was one person doing four different jobs, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And it's, it's basically identical to what happened to me when I had that one marketing job. And I got into marketing because I, back then I was doing like freelance web design and graphic mm -hmm. design, and I wanted to do it professionally. And the first place that gave me an opportunity for like some sort of marketing job and it had all the red flags, but I'm like, I need an experience and I need at least a year of experience. And I, I, I only stayed there like a year to the day. Um, but I got like six years of experience at that place doing all sorts of things, print design, web design. I had to meet like vendors. It was for, for, um, an eyewear retailer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I got to meet like reps from Ray-Ban and I have no idea about eyewear. And this is the same place I, I got to design like retail spaces and meet vendors for those. And basically in, in marketing, it's like anything that's visual or public, you do. Yep. <laughs> and that's anyone, anytime someone tells me like they're looking for a marketing job, I just prep them. I like be as open as you can be, be a sponge because they will expect you to do everything. Absolutely. And I, I wish someone had told me that because I went to I went to college for journalism. I originally was an art major. I wanted to be a graphic designer uh, in high school and I was a newspaper editor. I was like super nerdy. Um, and then I went to college. I had one semester of art and I was like, this is not for me. I'm going to switch back into journalism since I know I'm I, I know I know I'm a good writer. I wanted to be a radio DJ. I was actually a radio DJ all through college. I wanted to be in broadcast, but broadcast was kind of when I came out of college, which was December of 2010. It was it was very um, it was kind of dying and conglomerating, and it was really hard to get even a livable wage. And a lot of the jobs that you could get would be like in like Alamosa, Colorado, or somewhere some tiny town in the middle of nowhere where I didn't want to be. So I'm originally from Colorado. And uh, so I, I, I made the executive decision to switch to public relations and advertising. And my school was more heavily on public relations than it was advertising. And because I took summer classes and stuff, I ended up double majoring in communications. So I was very strong communicator with also like this PR advertising background. And I, I thought I wanted to be in advertising agencies. I thought that that was kind of what I wanted to do. And uh, I guess where like imposter syndrome super, super creeped in was when I started at my first advertising agency. And I was like, dang, I don't fit in here at all. Like I, I'm, I don't think this way. I'm, I'm not 
kooky and hipstery like this. I, I don't have, like, I just, I'm isolated being in, being the one digital person among print people. Um, so it kind of pushed me into marketing in terms of everything after that became a marketing position. So I did product side or promotional or whatever. And my career, as most millennials careers go, has kind of been start, stop, start, stop freelance for a bit. And then, and then, you know, stay with a solid company for two or three years or, you know, however many. And then, and then my last position was exactly a year to the day. So it's been an interesting career, but I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't know any of this because I never took a marketing class, not a single one. Right. Yeah, no, I, I went to school for psychology and criminology. So I have no background in design. I have no background in like technical and I, and I work with like uh, online products. Yeah. In product management. <laughs> uh, I worked at a digital agency. Like I, I have none of that. But um, I think one thing like people like you and I have is just the, um, the soft skill that it's hard to learn in, mm -hmm. in working in a variety of industries, but with a variety of people. Mm -hmm. Like working in an agency, every customer or client has their own like culture and personality and you have to figure out how to navigate those. And I did that for three years and yep. eventually that was enough for me because it was just kind of like, there's no long-term attachment. There's that initial excitement mm -hmm. of we have a new client and this cool thing and they might be our biggest contract. And then once you get over that hump, it's like, I can't wait to be done with this project. Right. And then they go out in the wild and you never hear back from them. And then another one comes in. And then uh, yeah. I, I did that and that really built up my confidence with mm -hmm. dealing with like, because you just, you're juggling five or six uh, client portfolios at a time and they're all a little bit different. And then I thought, well, if I can do five or six, how I could probably do a really great job if I had one to focus on and they were all on my team, not like yeah. a vendor client, you know? Um, but yeah, built based on that agency experience and all the personalities that I figured out how to navigate, then it was pretty easy transition to be like uh, work for one company and one product. Um, but uh, the, the challenge that happened, and it's what you mentioned, it's kind of like our generation, you work somewhere for a few years and then you go somewhere else, whether it's by your choice or someone mm -hmm. else's. But even when I interviewed, there were some hiring managers that said like, oh, it looks like you jump around a lot. Oh my gosh, I hate that. Well, and you know what? I, I actually love that question. <laughs> I love that statement because it yeah. tells me that it's not going to be a good fit for either. Right. No, you're right. You, you're absolutely so right. I see that and I'm like, yeah, no, I jump around. Like when I know that I'm not providing as much value as I can or I'm not getting what I want out of it, then I leave. I don't see a problem with that. And I've learned about myself, like working in agencies and, and the projects I have. I mm -hmm. love the phase of we have an idea how do we actually get it built? Right. I, that phase to me is the most exciting thing. It's also the most nerve wracking and mm -hmm. why we even have imposter syndrome. Cause it's so much guessing and like I could guess wrong and guessing is based on my experience and knowledge. And what if I don't have the right experience and knowledge, but that's the most exciting phase. Once it's out there and alive, I kind of start to lose interest. And yeah. that's just something in my personal life too. Like I don't, I don't have any one hobby. Mm -hmm. I try something and when I try it, like I'm all in, I get obsessed and then I get it out of my system and I go on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the only reason why I said I hate that is I hate when, I hate when hiring managers assume that 
so I'm a, I'm a military spouse as well. So like when you combine the, the lack of permanence, because I, I'm tied, I'm tethered to my husband, who of course is the breadwinner. I mean, he's a lieutenant in the Navy and I have to, I'm less permanent, so to speak, because I have yeah. to go, you know, duty stations every two to three years. And he's, he's, we we're, we're nearing the end. Um, but, and I only probably have to move like two more times, but uh, that when you combine that within like my my career in Denver was so choppy because I was working for startups or I do a contract or I 1099 and so I think like sometimes I find I feel like that's a blanket statement it's a lazy statement to say like oh it looks like you jump around a lot and it's like right it's like yeah but I I know my value and I know when I am no longer valued I know when I no longer want to be somewhere I know when something is draining my mental health. I know when something is work is is eating into my relationship or my life or my my well-being. So I think like when hiring managers or even like resume recruiters, you know, I, I can't stand recruiters, but even when they do kind of look at my resume or look at things like that and they and they pick it apart, I immediately know that that is not where I want to be because right. that that is like they, they're not going to respect my work life balance. They're not going to respect my boundaries. They're not going to respect me as a person. They're going to look at me as less than permanent. They're going to think I have one foot out the door. Um, because I'm like you. If I I'm, I get really excited about being able to build things and change things and make lasting changes, which is why I chose the position I chose last because. I could make so much of a difference. And I did, I really, really did. I mean, you, I had a, a rap sheet at the end of the year that had like astronomical numbers off the, off the charts. And, you know, even so that I, there's no longer a marketing team in place because I was able to teach all of my sales team, which is about 20 people, how to market themselves, they're crushing it right now. And that's because of me. And I know that. And like, that makes me feel really proud. It's like my baby, my baby, my baby out in the wild is doing great things. Um, now, you know, am I sad that I don't get to do anything with it anymore? Not really. Like it was yeah. because I was at a point where I was already about to make a change where I went and I had a conversation with my boss and he had been like, Hey, like, I don't think that this bonus might, I mean, we can, I can pay you more, but I don't think you're going to feel valued if, 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 if that's, you know, if compensation is what it is. Cause I had basically said I'm one person and I have one employee and all he does is make videos. Like that's all he does. And I have no support. I can't train him. He, he can't like, it's, it's, it's just all he does is creative and that's fine, but I need someone that has more hands on for me so that I'm not one person doing 700 things. And, um, and so, and, and then the pandemic hit. So it was like, oh, well, bye. <laughs> but even so, I, I kind of knew that like I was on my way out anyway. So, cause I, I was like, I can't, I can't work like this. I can't feel stressed out like this where I feel like I'm literally going to explode if I, if I drop yeah, no, one you, thing. You, you can feel when it's time. Yeah, and exactly. It's, it's a healthy thing to recognize that feeling because I definitely have friends and coworkers who've had the feeling but don't feel comfortable leaving. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is scary to leave. It's, it's very scary to leave. But I think maybe it's uh, just a, your life experience and my life experience. Like I always assume something's going to change. We don't move mm -hmm. around a lot, but I've moved jobs quite a bit. Right. And growing up, like my family used to move around a lot. So I think it just we're just used to change coming mm -hmm. every few years. So... If it's not going to happen this year, it'll probably happen soon enough. And career-wise, again, maybe it's just you and I and like our personality types are generational, but I look at work as transactional. Yeah. There's a current problem that a company has. I'm available. Can I help you solve that problem? 
there's no like there's no entitlement to each other's time beyond that in the sense of like well you're right. here forever and and i don't know if that's something that changed recently like i said generational or just maybe uh, you and i just look at it as transactional we're good at some things we know our value let yeah. me give you that value and then from there let's figure it out and maybe the next step isn't that we're in the same organization yeah it's interesting that you say that because i the conversations that kind of led up to all of that at the beginning of this year were like okay so we built this thing now where does it go and i provided like so many answers of like here's the next step let's do this this and this like here's the 30 60 90s three months six months overview and then there was no decision that ever came from it and that was kind of like me being like okay i think i'm done like like if you if you, we've built it and now you're asking me where the rocket ship needs to go and i've told you this is where you can you can pick the path right like three different areas and and then there's no answers and so i built this thing and now it's sitting there and we're ready to launch it so what do you want me to do <laughs> so um so that's kind of uh you made me think about that kind of where it's like okay we built the thing it's transactional we're ready to go okay i guess we're not going to do anything with it then i gotta move on yeah that that's basically it like yep i i people don't second guess when companies move on if someone isn't giving them the value they need mm-hmm. no one second guesses like if someone gets laid off and it's not because of like covid or something they just go you know this person's not working yet everyone expects that to happen at some point in a company but when it's the other way there's a weird reaction of like i'm not getting what i want and it's not even like financial just i'm not getting what i want from this company so i think i'm going to leave and i don't i again i don't know what it is i don't have that attachment mm-hmm. i love where i work now yeah i'm sure this will get out some of my coworkers may hear this i love where i work um and when i don't love it anymore it's not a surprise to anybody yeah i've never left somewhere actually okay one that but it was the the retail company i i mentioned earlier yeah that was the only place where they were shocked i was leaving after doing very little marketing and everything else but otherwise when i leave a company everyone's like no that makes sense i also don't see how much more you can do here right right yeah it's it's uh it's it's interesting cuz i think i think the uh the societal like norms of like my my dad for instance he's in his 60s and he's still working and he's an engineer and he's been with the same company gosh since i was in college so that's a little more than 10 years ago and then the company before that 8 years and the company before that 12 years and the company before that 25 years you know so like right. that is so normal in that career path but then my dad's like man i i all my all my employees that are younger i can't keep them and i'm like yeah dad cuz that's normal they can go somewhere else where they're more valued they can go work on something else they can decide that they don't want to work on flash drives like that is normal dad <laughs> like my dad's like you guys are young and blah, you know and i'm like okay cool like generational gap like you don't see that like uh, the younger generation we do want and we advocate more for ourselves and we also kind of don't just sit in something because it's a paycheck um right and we also tend to kind of want to go where we're valued so that is something that um you know i i've always kind of uh kept on my kept front of mind and so my husband's always like well, what are you going to do next and i'm like well right now i'm enjoying this podcast and i have this privilege to be able to do this right now because my husband and i are moving to hawaii so it's like no. why would i go back into an office right now when you're deploying and it's going to take away time from me being with you and i 
don't really want to go into a COVID filled office right now. So what's the point of, you know, like, what's the point of going back in at this point? Um, and so I've just kind of been podcasting. That's what I've been doing. Podcasting, working on my mental health, all of that. And, uh, it's been great, but again, you know so funny listening to our stories where we started being vulnerable, talking about imposter uh-huh. syndrome, and we're ending with, we have enough confidence to make like biggest life decisions without looking back. <laughs> yeah. And it's so funny how that works. Yeah, it's, it's really funny because I, I mean, I love my old coworkers. They're great people, but they're all like very worried about, like not worried about me, but they'll be like, oh, I heard of this marketing job and I thought of you. And I'm like, I'm not looking. They're like, what do you mean you're not looking? And I'm like, I'm just, I don't need to go back into an office right now. And they're like, they just don't understand that concept. They're like, does not compute. Cause, because they lived in San Diego their whole lives. And right they're not part of this military thing. And, you know, the time to go back into an office would have probably been the summer, but you know, it it didn't happen that way because there's just no way. And and, I mean, it's, it's, who knows where this is going to go a year from now, we might be still having the same conversation. I have no idea. Um, But it's nice to just be doing something that like drives, drives what I enjoy doing, which is of course, you know, talking to people, getting to know people, helping people, letting people feel valued. That's kind of what drives my soul. So it's nice to, even though this isn't a monetary thing for me to have these conversations where I, one, I feel normal (laughs) and to um, get to know people and their stories, because uh, I know that I'm probably have some listeners that feel very stuck in their career. And I hope that this is a very freeing conversation or this, this kind of gets the wheels turning of like, if I'm not happy, maybe I should find something that is exciting and new if I have the opportunity to do so hop from one place to another and not worry about the ramifications of it. Yeah. And like, I, I definitely appreciate this podcast. And like you said, it's, it's, uh, it, it's got a lot of value because it validates your own feelings, mm-hmm. which is great. And to know there's people around the world who feel the same way as you, not even like in the same company or city, mm-hmm. but just around the world, people, people you've never met, uh, feel the exact same way in different industries. And I think, um, on your point about like moving on and trying something new, it, it's part of our personality types. I know it's difficult for a lot of other people. My wife is a teacher, which is not a great position to be in with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it took months of talking about it and seeing that like our local government wasn't giving us the confidence for her to go back. And for the first time in, since leaving school, like she's been teaching since she left school, we've decided like she's gonna take leave without pay and we're gonna experiment with something else. Yeah. It took a lot of like thought, but the important part was, and I think you mentioned it, if you have the privilege to be able to make the choice to try something else, recognize you have the privilege and take advantage. Uh, that, that's what I did in the past, leaving places. Like I felt that I was employable enough to find something else. And I made the choice to move, uh, move on from where I was. And my wife, same thing. We are privileged enough as a family where she can experiment. And I don't, and, and maybe you can tell me your side too. Have you ever left a place and years later thought, oh, I wish I could go back there? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, if, if, if it has, if it didn't fit anymore, it was, it was just not right for me. And I, of course, I probably had some like really negative feelings for some of the places I've left. Like one, I, I raged quit a job once, which I do not suggest. I am friends with my old boss now. She's no longer at that company, but I've been there for three years and I, and they basically just had all these weird management shifts and changes. And it was just like, enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. 
And that actually catalysted me into meeting my husband, which was kismet basically, because if I hadn't quit that job, I would have never met my husband because I was working on myself kind of to like move on and, and find my next chapter. And that just happened to include him. So I don't look back on that or any, any decision I've made or, or being let go or whatever. I don't look back on it and regret it because I'm like, that's just, I, I learned from my mistakes. I know what to look out for. I know what the red flags are. And should and when I go back into an office and when I do decide what's what's next for me and what I would like to do, um, one, it's going to be more militant focused. I will either be working for the U.S. government doing um, marketing or I will be doing and get a clearance or I will be doing... Uh, I will be doing something to help fleet and family support because in the last six months where I've seen the most uh, deficit is in my spousal community. Um, and I, I don't like that spouses are preyed on as MLMs and scams and things like that because they're considered the stay at home mom kind of dependent mentality where they don't have, you know, they, they're just expected to be the homemaker. So I, I guess in a lot of ways, and I had, I interviewed a guy who's a life coach and he'd said, you know, you would be a really great coach for other spouses. And I don't know if that's my route necessarily, but I'm, it's gotten my wheels turning to start to think about like, what do I need in a company? What do I need for myself? What makes sense for me? Um, how can I use my strengths to empower others kind of? So a lot of this podcast is that. And then on my own time, I'm kind of trying to figure out like, what's my career change? Because marketing will always be part of my life um, because you're always marketing yourself, whether it's this podcast, whether it's my brand, whether it's my dog, whether it's me, my husband, whatever. So it's more right now that I'm like, I'm not going to look back and regret anything because if anything, like 2020 in a lot of ways has been very hard for everyone. But for me, I feel like I've had so much personal growth and it's been great. <laughs> yeah. Like your marketing skills will never go to waste. As you mm -hmm. said, like you will always be using them. Now you just get to pick and choose. What do I want to use them for? Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to market for brands anymore. I'm done. No more. Like <laughs> yeah, maybe small businesses, but not brands. Oh, I hear you. That, that's basically what I went through working for an agency. <laughs> and we had some good customers that were like more on the public service side, uh, but they had their own issues that, that were frustrating, you know, just like the slow moving design by committee problem. Yep. Uh, where you're like, you want to do good, but then you're sitting in a room and you're super frustrated. Like, can we just make a decision? But they're also <laughs> timid because the ramifications are like, I don't want to be part of this world. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where we go from here. This was so cathartic. <laughs> yeah. So we'll go into the next question because I love this question. Um, I think that I've never had the same answer twice. So what success looks like to me is going to look different to you. So what does success look like to you? And do you feel successful? Um, I will answer the second part first. I do feel successful because my metrics for success are basically the comfort I could provide myself and my family. And I don't mean like as a breadwinner just mm -hmm. like the environment that I can help create with my wife for my family um, based on my profession. By that, I mean, free up as much time as I can from work for the rest of life. And my goal is to um, not necessarily increase like how much money I make every mm -hmm. year. That can stay the exact same. I just want to spend less time doing it. Mm -hmm. And then with that time, you can use for other opportunities. And you've mentioned a few on your end. I mentioned my wife uh, deciding for the first time in like a decade to try something else professionally and I'm helping her on that side. 
so that, that's basically it. Like how much opportunity can we create for ourselves outside of work? Um, that it's, it's related to like my view that work is very much transactional. So I don't attach long-term success with work itself, mm -hmm. just kind of like squeezing as much as I can out of it. And, yeah. and the way I know I've, I've squeezed a lot is compensation, but also free time. Yes, yes. Yes, I, I like that a lot. And I, I, I like that you're like, your whole goal is to just make sure that your kids are comforted, your, your, your wife and you have a good relationship, the foundation's good, the childhood is good, that, you know, there's a, there's a strong foundation of, you know, healthy mental, physical kind of professional situation. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a really great way to look at success and um, congratulations on, you know, feeling successful, feeling that things are going really well. Um, for me, I look at success as, um, you know, any time that I'm actually like physically and emotionally and mentally leaning into who I am and doing what drives my soul. And for the first time I can actually say I'm doing that, but also I feel successful in the sense that I feel, um, very whole as a person, very good in my marriage. I feel successful in my marriage. I feel successful, um, you know, in, in my personal life. Um, there's a lot of things I volunteer for that are going really well, projects that I work on that are really like driving my soul and my heart. So yeah, I feel successful too. And I like your answer there. Did anyone give an answer like that before? Did I break your? No, that's a good one. Um, I think okay. that's a. I think it's a good. It's a good goal to strive for because you know some people define a success within like material value, and other people just define success as the two point five kids, the picket fence, that kind of stuff. And um, I think the one the people that are highly successful, or the people that are high achievers, or um, have very creative mindsets like you or I, who kind of figure things out. That's just kind of the way our brains are wired, I suppose. Um, we tend to measure success in just the feeling of kind of contentment and happiness and how, and, and how we can just kind of leave it at the door. Agreed. Leaving it at the door. That's, that's super important. As you were, as you were talking, I was thinking about that too, how like I, I get upset when work bleeds into the rest of my life. Yeah. When I left the digital agency, it was at the point where I was like waking up thinking about problems at work. Like, how are we going to solve it? I was mm -hmm. thinking like this, this has too much effect on me. If even if they tripled my pay, it's, it's not appropriate. The, the effect it has on me where I dream about it. Yeah. And usually when I start to dream about work, I first like check myself, like take it easy. But if it keeps going, then it's, it's not the right situation. It doesn't even matter if it's like, it's on me that I'm thinking about it too much or not. It's happening. And I, and I, that's when I tend to, to leave places where it just, it's, uh, taking more than than it's giving. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we're coming kind of towards the end uh, in wrapping up, but I love this question and I think it, it makes a lot of sense uh, to ask you this question. Usually I skip it. So we'll skip uh, fanaticals and opinion and unpopular <laughs> opinions and we'll go into what's currently making you happy in the world. So. Without boasting. Yeah. Um, we, we, we bought our, this house that we're in five mm -hmm. years ago. And the first thing we saw was the backyard. Uh, and it's, it's like the most beautiful backyard. It has a hill and it's a pie shape. So it's, it like gets wider and there's nice big trees and everybody like from friends and families joke when they saw it, Oh, you guys should get a pool. And that seems so unattainable. And then last fall we went and we finally like put down the deposit of a pool. And when it was start, 
supposed to start COVID hit. So all trades took a break. And uh, obviously we were disappointed, but like it's such a privilege, uh, like first world problem to be like, oh, our pool when people are like losing their jobs and like worried about their health. Um, but basically we were able to coordinate um, different trades and figure out a way for everyone to work safely because that, that was an important part. Like a lot of people were out of work. A lot of people are like, oh, let's not make any big financial decisions. Um, and we decided to like, let's see how far we could take this. And putting in a pool is a pretty big project because we have to like put in a new fence, a bunch of electrical work. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the end of it, like we, we took a step back and we're like, all right, we got our, we got our pool. It gave us a nice project to get through COVID. And we got to meet all these great people who would have otherwise not had work to do. So it's like we we kind of did uh, put put in some like risk on our end, but then we have this beautiful pool and a new fence, and we got to meet all these cool trades, and they're like helping other people in the neighborhood. So it really felt like a I don't know how to explain it, like a weirdly community thing. Mm -hmm. And then at at the end of it, we have this great pool that we get to use. And I well, just step back and I'm like, yeah. I don't know what we did, what good karma we have, where we get out of COVID safe and we get a pool. And sometimes <laughs> I feel guilty because I'm like, why do we have it so good? Um, but right now that's, that's what's making me the happiest. Like taking a step back, looking and I'm like, I don't know what we did right. I don't yeah. know if it's, um, it's mostly probably just luck, but taking a step back and saying like, we, we did some things right and, and we came out of COVID positive. Yeah, I love that. Um, similar to you, my husband and I, well, actually, we've owned our house for just under a year. Um, in San Diego, uh, it's very uncommon to not have a pool. And the one thing I don't like about this house is that it doesn't have a pool. However, we did turf the front and back because it is California and it's very expensive to water um, your grass. Yeah. So we have a fully turfed back and a fully turfed front, which was part of our COVID projects. We've done quite a few around the house. That's what makes me happy is that I'm in this environment where, you know, when we purchased this house, my husband hates the saying, but when we purchased the house and he, he wanted to put an offer in it, I couldn't see the potential. I couldn't see it because I just, one, the realtor with the open house was following me around and I was like, I don't, please stop talking to me. And the other is that, you know, I just, I didn't see it for myself. And now I'm sitting in my office, like I'm sitting in my office. That's like half my craft table. Cause I like to do crafts and you know, my dog is sleeping, uh, you know, in this little bed and I look around and I can see outside that there's the turf in the front. And even though I don't have a pool, I did buy a kiddie pool. I mean, COVID everything sold out everywhere. So Everybody. I bought it. I bought a kiddie pool on Poshmark. I bought chlorine tabs for it, an electric blower for it to pump it up, a cover for it, a algae stuff for it, a skimmer for it. And like my friend Shelby, I have a what you call like a quarantine pod. So I've got friends that are um, they're they're also military. So I trust that they're following as strictly as I am. Plus my backyard's gigantic. Plus the pool is at equidistant six foot apart. So it's a big, big, big big kiddie pool. So I, you know, she'll come over and we'll drink wine in my kiddie pool and like just talk about life or FaceTime our friends on the East coast or whatever we're doing. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a really great joy to just be like, okay, like, yeah, this house doesn't have like a hundred percent everything that I want, but I was able to make it my own in that way. Cause I'm a water baby. I love to be in the pool, not a huge ocean person. Do like the sound of waves, but not a huge ocean person. Um, the ocean out here is kind of, but I, um, I, but yeah, so I, I totally get that and having that part and then you're going to have those memories. I mean, that's very exciting. 
Yeah, and, and I didn't even mention, like you said, like you did a lot of work yourself. We did so much landscaping and anything that we took down, like our old fence, we reused parts of it. Like we built a playhouse for our kids out of the oh, old cool. fence. And we look out there and we're like, we did that. We built that. And it gave us something to focus on and like, again, make a, make a positive out of a not so positive situation. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's crazy because even in, uh, we've got a few more home improvement things that are going to happen. We're going to get a new back patio door and a pergola, which is going to like kind of a gazebo-ish thing that will attach to the house yep. for shade. Um, and those are the last two things. And those will happen while my husband is deployed. And so I've got to coordinate them myself, <laughs> but it's fine. I mean, deposits are already in, but it's crazy how much home improvement people are doing. Like there was a point where I told my husband, I was like, I'm so sick of going to Home Depot. I don't want to go to Home Depot anymore. I'm sick of it. I don't like, I, I was like, I just take me anywhere else. I don't, because I was at my house all the time, you know, while right. I was at work and then we'd go to Home Depot to pick up something. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. But now I'm like, eh, yeah, we can go to Home Depot. It's been a month or two. It's fine. Well, um, new, yeah. <laughs> new skills, new skills learned along the way again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. Ash, this has been an utter delight and I love to give my guests the opportunity to promote whatever they'd like. So do you have something you'd like to promote? Uh, yeah, I guess the only thing is, um, like you, I'm, I'm doing a hobby during COVID. Every, every year I get like a, an urge to do something creative. Uh, and, and this year I decided to do a, a podcast and it's the first time I've done a solo podcast. I've done interview podcasts before. Uh, and I decided to do a solo one under 15 minutes and they're all about different hobbies. And I mentioned earlier, like I don't have the attention span to continue hobbies longer than just trying them and getting them out of my system. And when I was off this summer, I thought, why, why don't I record a podcast and see like you, I said, like, could I do 10 episodes? And then by then, if I'm still enjoying it, I'll continue. And if it's out of my system, I'll move on. Uh, and the podcast is called that's a hobby. Uh, I try common, mostly uncommon hobbies. Some of them are kind of tongue in cheek. They're all less than 15 minutes. There's things from like the Spartan race, which I've done, stand up comedy I've tried a few times, and then there's like meditation. Uh, so yeah, that, that would basically be it. That's a hobby.com. Uh, I do it every week until it's out of my system. Yeah, I love that. And as always, to my listeners, um, all of the links to the podcast uh, and ways to connect with Ash, those will all be in the description of the podcast. Um, and Ash, thank you so much for taking the time and, and the opportunity to speak with you. It was really awesome to get to know you and learn about your career and like just kind of your life. And I hope that you and your kiddos enjoy your pool and, and some good weather coming up. Um, but to my listeners, this is, of course, please don't kick me out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. And if you like what you hear, please like, subscribe, rate, share, leave a comment, shout it into the ether, whatever. Um, but Ash, thank you so much. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the chat, the time flew by. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much. Talk later. Thank you. Hey listeners, I wanted to share a special promotion for you from Dash of Pep. Dash of Pep is a clothing boutique that offers non-binary clothing that has fun prints that support mental health and empowering you to be your best self. And this pandemic, it is great to shop small and support small businesses like Dash of Pep. More than 50% of my wardrobe is from her adorable store. Robin at Dash of Pep has graciously given me a promo code for you to use at checkout. Use P-D-K-M-O to receive 15% off your order. Again, that is www.dash of pep.com and you can enter pdkmo at checkout to receive 15% off your order.
has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm going to keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday. 